welcome to the second season of the Yamcast, where we help young adults navigate this world and assist anyone in starting a young adult ministry. We do this by going through some books of the Bible that we are currently going through with our own young adult group. I am one of your hosts, Erica Haas. And I'm the other host, Chris Stukenberg. We love to guide this age group through life and their faith. And this season, we're actually going to cover the book of Ruth. Uh We're super excited about it. So if you'd like to know more, check us out at Instagram at the Yamcast or Facebook at YamcastPod, or you can email us at YamcastPod at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends because we all know that sharing is caring. Subscribe, rate, and review on any of the podcast platforms. All right, so we are going to start by introing Ruth. So we're going to spend an entire episode here just on introing the book. But before we do that, we have a very important shout out. We from do have my, a shout out. My favorite person in the universe. Yes, from H. Stuke. 421. We got a review. She said it was super funny and educational. She said, I may have spit out my coffee when picturing King Tubby as a veggie tail. Loving this podcast. Fresh and funny. Thanks, Heidi. I have a fan. <laughs> Love it. So we're not going to do our, we, you know, we normally do the, the basic storyline and then deeper dive and all that. You know, we run through the whole thing. We're going to do that with Ruth 1 when we get there. But what we wanted to do this week was just talk about some of the things about Ruth that might be important to us, may not be important to everybody else, but we thought we'd just set the book up this way. So the first category we want to discuss is just authorship or the date of Ruth and when it was written and who wrote it. So what you got? So I looked up a few things um, and one of them said, basically everybody believes that it's Samuel who has written it. Then when I was looking at another thing, they kind of said, yeah, a lot of people believe that, but he kind of was like, I don't really believe that because of some mentions of David. It kind of almost appears like it's during the monarchy a little bit later when it was actually written. And just because of some of the Hebrew that was used, that person kind of did not think that it was Samuel. So he errs on the side of it kind of just being unknown. So did you find anything contradicting to that? <laughs> so here's the thing with with most authorship questions in the Bible. There are dozens of opinions. Mm-hmm. Like you might even read a book in the New Testament, for example, like the book of Luke. Most <laughs> of us say, Luke wrote that one. Yeah. There are people out there who don't believe that Luke wrote it. And they use all kinds of reasons for that to be the, the truth. Mm-hmm. So. I will just say very briefly, authorship doesn't matter as much as maybe we think it does. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start there. And I'm not saying that it doesn't matter at all who wrote it. But if we're basing our faith on who wrote this particular book, like for Ruth, for example, we have no idea who really wrote it. Because it doesn't actually say in the beginning who wrote it or any of those things. And most books don't. Mm -hmm. And they don't care to because that's not really the point. Like they're not actually trying to accomplish that. And there's even some books that have the name of the person attached to them, but we're not even sure if that person wrote it. Like we don't know if Samuel wrote the Samuels. Mm-hmm. Samuel dies halfway through the, you know, there's first Samuel, he yeah, dies at the true. end of it. And then in the second Samuel, he's not involved at all. So he clearly didn't write second Samuel and but, he, may, he may not have compiled all of it. Yeah. So just because their name is attached, like as this is their book. It doesn't necessarily because I mean it's it's his life, right. but then as you said, yeah, he doesn't actually live through the whole 
Second Samuel books either. Right. So. so there are some times when it, it might matter a little bit, but most of the time it doesn't matter at all. And that's not to say that we shouldn't pursue knowledge on it, but it just, it, I think some people get so hung up on this question and, and I don't know that it matters because if it's in the word of God, we just trust that it's there for a reason, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I, I will say some things that uh, I, you know, I appreciate your research on that. That's, that's good stuff. We don't know when it was written, partly because the Hebrew is all over the place. There are some words that are super old. There are some words that aren't old at all. And I could get into a long discussion here about language theory. I don't want to do that because... This, I would be falling asleep. Let's yeah, be real. <laughs> this is a, this is a podcast for young adults and college students, and, and no one wants to hear that, except for maybe the language majors. Right? Maybe, yeah. But Linguistics. If you, the easiest way to say it this way would be, uh, or sorry, the easiest way to say it would be like this. The English has changed so much. The language of English has changed so much over the years. When you read Shakespeare, we have almost no idea what's being said sometimes, mm-hmm. right? And if you go even further back, like uh, Chaucer wrote Canterbury Tales, and if you read that, you're like, this is in English. What is going on here? <laughs> yeah. So language evolves and changes over time based on culture, based on what's easiest for people to understand. Even different language, like if I'm hanging out with a bunch of lawyers, they use a completely different English than I do. Very true. In the courtroom than they do at home than they do at the coffee shop. So language molds and, and is affected by those things. And the Hebrew that's used in Ruth at times is very old and at times is so new that they're like, it has to be written way, way, way late. So you'll notice that when you when you do a study on that, like the dating of a book or the authorship of a book, you'll often find scholars freaking out about all kinds of stuff. And one will say, it's super old. Samuel wrote it because this word is used here. And someone else will say, well, no, this particular Hebrew word wasn't used until a thousand years later or 500 years later. So there's no way it could have been written in that time. There's probably a whole different explanation for that. We don't need to get into that yet. I mean, some other books that we're going to get to down the road will allow us to deal with that, that idea a little bit. But the, the point is, Hebrew's all over the place, so we don't know. But also, kind of with authorship, doesn't necessarily, it's not vital, no. right? It is not vital to know when it was actually written um, for us to glean from it or read it and know truths about it. So, Especially with the book of Ruth, that's true. Now, there are some books in the Old Testament, for example, dating and authorship does matter. For example, there's a huge debate about Isaiah, mm-hmm. who wrote Isaiah. And the reason for that is Isaiah has a ton of prophecy in it. So if the prophecy was written after it was already fulfilled, then mm. it's not actually prophetic. It's, it's just, just history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if it's done through the voice of Isaiah, then they're like, oh, see, it's not really prophetic. Isaiah, blah, 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 blah. The, the problem with the book of Isaiah is even if you go with a very late date on Isaiah, meaning it was written very close to the birth of Christ, there's still a ton in Isaiah that talks about Jesus hundreds of years before he was born. Mm-hmm. So there's no way that it's not prophetic in multiple ways. But yes. that's a whole different discussion that... It, it, that doesn't matter for Ruth because Ruth has nothing prophetic in it. There are some neat storylines that that get linked into the storyline of of Jesus, for example, and, and David. But it doesn't really matter when it was written. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who wrote it. Mm-hmm. So what's the time frame here? What, what are we talking about? When? What is Ruth? You know, basically, what's the setting or the backdrop? What's happening in Ruth? Why does it matter? Well, it says in the very beginning of the book that this is during the time of the judges. So we just spent a ton of time going over the judges. So Which if you may, need a refresher. And that may be why we're doing Ruth right now. What? Maybe. It's like we planned it. So um, so it is. It's during the time of the judges. Some of the things that I had seen had said it was possibly 
the later years of the judges. So, um, I mean, so that's when things are really going crazy. And there's a lot of reasons to believe that it's the later years of judges. For example, there's a connection to Moab right off the bat, and it's not mentioned Eglon, right? The the fat king, you know, King Tubby or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so w- because there's no connection there and because Moab isn't actually in Israelite territory, that would suggest that they've already been removed from Israelite territory, which is back with, you know, yeah. characters in the Bible and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So the fact that Judges is dealing with, with uh, Moab and the fact that Ehud, you know, pushes them back, basically, clearly this couldn't have been early on in Judges. It would have been later in Judges. The other reason why it it kind of seems to suggest that as later years is because the time frame gives us a connection to David at the very end of the book. So Ruth four, we're going to have a connection from Ruth to David. And you'll see that when we get to Ruth four in a little while, but the fact that David is the great grandson of the storyline that we're going to deal with here starts to maybe give us an idea of how late in the book of judges, this might've occurred. So how long does a generation take? It might be 20 years. Mm. It might be, you know, how long does it take somebody to have a baby who then has another baby? 20 years is a pretty safe estimate. could be a little earlier in ancient times. We have a lot of old people in the Bible, though, that don't have babies until way late. That's true. So you start to question a little bit and you go, okay, so we could be talking here about 60-year generations. And if that's the case, we've got three. So this could be 180 years before Judges ended. That would be really early in Judges. So Mm -hmm. it's probably closer to the 20-year generation idea. Uh, for us to kind of play out. But the problem with that even, is using that as a time frame, and I want to be really clear here with folks because I know a lot of folks who come to me with like a genealogy and they go, read this genealogy. I figured out how old the earth is or I figured out uh, when the end times is going to occur. And I figured mm. and they're, they're doing this based on like a, some genealogy that they found somewhere or something like that. There, There's a huge problem with that, uh, not the least of which is this. The same genealogy that mentions who David's great-grandparents are also mentions who David's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparent is, and that's Perez. And Perez is a child that is born from Judah. Mm-hmm. And well, Tamar. From, so from the time that Judah and Tamar had a baby, we have now moved a few hundred years because you at least have the 400 years in the wilderness or the 400 years in Egypt and then the 40 years in the wilderness, then the time of Joshua, yeah. then the time of the judges. Well, the problem is that same genealogy that gives us the four generations to David gives us only five generations from Perez to Boaz. Hmm. And that can't be possible. Yeah. And if you start looking at the Old Testament genealogies, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And the genealogies aren't always what you think. Almost every genealogy in the book of Genesis, for example, has 10 generations. Exactly. So there's, there's a good chance that it's not being given to us as a time frame but more of a linking between major people. Mm-hmm. So there might be a chance that, you know, such and such had a, a baby who had another baby who had another baby. And then we mentioned such and such as the second generation of it because the other ones just don't matter. And the Bible does that a lot more than I think we think. Mm-hmm. So and there's even some coding sometimes in generations that we need to kind of be aware of or the genealogy idea. So all that to say, we don't exactly know when Judges was. There's no good way to build a case. But I would say maybe 40 years before Judges is over, 60 years before Judges is over, because David's a young man by the time we meet him in First Samuel. Mm-hmm. You follow? So would this be like Samson-esque? Like, do you know Could be. what that pati- – okay. I was just trying to think of maybe yeah. where that – and we all know, too, that that isn't quite what it is either. It, it could be, but let's go back to the end of Judges, what we were talking about. It could be Samsonist. It also might not be. Let's let's say Delilah is the mom of, of Micah, who mm-hmm. then hires the Levite. 
if that's the case, then Micah has to be old enough to have the money of his own and a household of his own. So I would suggest he's 30 or 40 or whatever. And then we don't know how long it takes from him to get to the end of the judges. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? So the the idea of dating in the Old Testament is is a quagmire. It's very hard. Because also, if you compare it to other calendars, first of all, everything has been destroyed multiple times. All we have is a few stones that sort of give us an idea. But we can't necessarily always link this king to this king to this king because sometimes those calendars don't even match up. So Mm. you might have an Egyptian king who doesn't match up with a Sumerian king who doesn't match up with an Akkadian king. But we all know that they're the, the exact same time. I just got really nerdy there for a minute, but yeah. but I'm just saying like there, the time frame concept in the Old Testament is almost impossible to break down. So when you hear someone on the History Channel say this is exactly when it happened, uh, first of all, the History Channel is notorious for taking a really long interview and taking a 30 second clip of it and making it say what they wanted to say. I have friends who have been on it and have just said I did not say that. This is how they characterized me, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other side of it is we don't know, and time frames are ridiculous, and we we shouldn't spend a ton of time doing that. One of the things we wanted to do with also with the book of Ruth really quick in this uh, kind of intro podcast is what is Ruth's place in the canon? So where does it belong in the canon? And I know you found some interesting stuff on that. So I'd love to hear you interact with that. And then we'll talk about it a little bit. So, yeah, when we talk about the canon, it's just the order that different groups of people have kind of divided it into. And so with our evangelical, I'm not sure if that's what you would call it, Bible, they have it right after Judges. Often they call those like the historical books. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at the Hebrew Bible, they actually put it more with like writings. So that's Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, Song of Songs, which is very interesting to think that this is kind of just another almost poetic story. Um, or that's how they would view it to to um, categorize it. So anyways, that was something interesting that I found. Yeah, and I think some Hebrews see it more as a parable, like a poetic parable that might not, I'm not saying that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Please understand that. I'm, I'm saying, I'm not using the word parable here as like a fake story, but I'm saying they almost see it in that light, that it's a it's a story that has a moral to it and a couple of other things. So it maybe fits more with Proverbs than it does with the history books. Mm. That's not to say that it doesn't belong in the history books. But it, in their mind, I think that's part of it. And so, yeah, you'll typically see in a lot of Jewish circles, uh, or I should say some Jewish circles, it's in the writings, whereas we, the you know, the Christian church, along with a number of other Jewish circles, actually have it connected to judges for the obvious reason, because it happened at the time of the judges. Why wouldn't it be linked right there? So, but it serves as a story just to show us, and this is kind of the parable thing that I'm talking about, it's... It partly exists to show us what would happen if someone actually did what God wanted them to do in the book of Judges, right? So so we just got through all these ridiculous characters with these ridiculous uh, characterizations and major character flaws. And we're like, whoa, what is going on with Judges? It's so messed up. When you read Ruth, it's kind of a breath of fresh air. And you're just, oh, this is great. You're like, it's not all bad. There is good that still is happening during this time. And that's what this kind of serves almost as. And what makes it good is the the beauty of someone being faithful to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So if you're faithful to Yahweh, life goes differently than it does if you're not faithful to Yahweh. Now, God is faithful no matter what. Notice how messed up the judges were and God still maintains his people and carries them through. But the story of judges is this beautiful moment of, whoa, faithfulness couldn't lead to a really neat life. And there's sort of this space created of this beauty and wonder. If we just do what God wants, look how, 
look how life can start to sprout. You know, even in the midst of the devastation of the human existence on this earth, little little sprouts pop up, you know, and then you have this beautiful garden that starts to exist, which, man, that, that links to Genesis 1, mm-hmm. that links to Psalm 1. There's so much stuff going on there, and it's beautiful. So that's kind of what this is here for. And also just pointing out her life is not perfect, and we'll go through that. Like, in, in meaning that she, not everything great always happens to her. So I want us to just make sure when we hear being faithful that you have this beautiful story. You do have a beautiful story, but it's not perfect. So there still is hardship that can that can happen. Yeah. And it's one of the things we're going to talk about when we talk about hearing from God that so often— we see to see the mountain peak experiences, but we don't see the days and the decades of faithfulness mm-hmm. that then eventually sprout. That gave way to those things. Right. And so we want to give up because we're like, I'm not, this isn't worth it. I'm missing out on life. And God's got a whole better plan for us if we just hold out, walk with him. And it may not be easy, but it'll be better in the long run. So one of the things that I wanted to chat about quick is just what is the role of Ruth in the scripture? And I have, you know, there, we can go a lot of directions. I, I just want to process four things that I think are, are going to be helpful for us to kind of look at with Ruth. So the one is Ruth serves as a bridge between Judges and Samuel. That happens on a number of levels, uh, partly the fact that there's a connection between this the ridiculous period of the Judges and the city of Bethlehem or the town of Bethlehem mm-hmm. to this king named David, that there's a connection there and Ruth is kind of the 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 bridge that makes those two things happen. But also you have judges and you have Samuel, Samuel being the last judge and judges being, you know, all of these ridiculous judges. And when you compare those two, you go, man, wouldn't it be great if there was a story to link the two? And that, that's exactly what's happening, yeah. right? So there's a redeeming factor of Ruth and, and there's this beautiful bridge that's connected. So that's one big one. Uh, another one of the big ones is that it begins to connect women into the genealogy of Jesus. And Ruth didn't know that it was doing that. So whoever wrote this book didn't realize what was happening in the long run. Uh, but yeah, where, where, what fits here and how does this work? Well, Matthew 1 has four women mentioned, mm-hmm. three of which we have already talked about in the podcast. And I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, actually, in the podcast, we talked about all four. But specifically here... There's a connection even at the end of Ruth to two of those women because Boaz has a mom whose name is Rahab. And we learned about her in the book of Joshua, right? The, mm-hmm. This um, woman who sort of helps save the the, um, the Israelites as they're marching into the land. But then you, you fast forward to the end and you go, oh, wow. Okay. Now we've got another person who is this person and it's, it's Ruth. And so both of those individuals are actually in the story of Jesus in the, the lineage of Jesus. Both of them are not Israelite. That's huge. And then there's two others that are also not Israelites, but it's a whole nother thing. But so this connects another woman into the genealogy of Jesus. And we have her whole story. Whereas Rahab, we just have like a few verses of mm-hmm. I'm going to be faithful. All your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God, which is basically what Ruth is going to do the same thing here. So that's big. Uh, one of the other roles that it has in scripture is this gives us a window into the agricultural roots of Israel. And those of us who you know live in farm country, we know all about farming. Which we do. Yeah, we, we know all about farming and stuff. We have farmer friends and all that kind of stuff. We have a farmer engineer. Uh, do you want to call yourself a farmer? The engineers? Not sure. Okay. So, uh, but the, there's these agricultural roots 
in this book, which shows us really what Israel was, which is an agrarian culture that spends a lot of time harvesting and planting and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that this happens in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and it's it's barley harvest, man, that's so beautiful. So we'll get into that a little bit uh, with Ruth 1, but it, it's just kind of a neat little window for us to see. This is what Israel was like at this time frame. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, it shows us a bunch of marriage traditions and family connections uh, that start to give us a little bit of an understanding of what living in that time was like. So we're reading Judges and, you know, Judges is kind of like a quick boom, 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 boom between all these characters that are larger than life, but ridiculous and terrible. Yep. This shows us just like the day-to-day common folk. This is what life was like. You it's go, nice. You go into town, you need to eat, so you help pick some barley and the guy might feed you at the end of the day. And the guy might feed you. And you got what you need. Mm-hmm. And then it also shows us what happens when someone passes away and marriage tradition and how that all works out. And so we'll get into that with specifically chapter four and some weird stuff that happens. That's really, really cool. Uh, but all of that leads to this, this beautiful concept that uh, if we were to go back to the beginning of scripture in Genesis three, right at the fall, God promises that he's going to send someone to fix the problem someday. And the seed of the woman is going to actually burst forth and become an individual that's going to save us all. And we're like, who's this person? We're waiting for it. And so the word that starts to build is we're looking for the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah coming from? And what's really neat is some of the big characters that are women who don't belong in the story where you think they would, all of a sudden start to pop up in Ruth and other places. And we're starting to see the lineage or the genealogy of Jesus or the lineage of the, of the Messiah come through women who are faithful, even in ways that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even scandalous ways. And you see God working in just ridiculous, crazy ways, using very flawed people to bring about the one who's going to save everyone. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a ton that's going on in the Bible dealing with women as, as key characters. Uh, I'd love to hear you interact on that. Uh, no one wants to hear me talk about women in the mm-hmm. Bible, but I would love to hear you think about it a little no, bit. No, we would love to hear that too, Christopher. Do not cut yourself short. Sell yourself short. Cut your... Something like that. Who cares? I always say those things wrong. Um, So, yeah, Ruth, first of all, one of only two that have a book name after her, correct? Mm -hmm. That's a woman. Um, But also, I was just thinking of actual main characters within stories. And, yeah, I think of her and I think of, obviously, Esther. Mm -hmm. Um, I think of the birth of Jesus when you're talking about Elizabeth and Mary. Like, they are... I mean, yes, the angel comes to the other two, but they kind of—I feel like they're they're side they're side stories. Whereas these are very central, and just I just think it's something beautiful when we're able to actually see God interact with these people, but also watch them be faithful in whatever comes. Ruth is—it's not glamorous. Esther, it appears glamorous, but I almost think if you were actually in that, it would not be glamorous. Like we often think like, oh my gosh, she got to be queen. That's so great. Everybody wants to be queen. But really, I imagine it's extremely lonely because you only get to see him when he summons you. Um, That doesn't always, that doesn't seem glamorous at all. So I just, yeah, I love, I love being able to see a woman as a, as a, as a key player and just how they handle that and, and how God blesses them or how he works through them. Even if it's not a good female character, I still love to see what happens and what's learned and, and that sort of thing. So I'm excited to go through. 
Yeah, and I think the defining principle there is there are women in Scripture that we don't have to know their name, but the story would still be the same. Mm-hmm. There are very few women in Scripture that if you remove them from the story, the story completely falls off the face so of the earth. So true. And Ruth is one of those. Esther is one of those. Mary is one of those. Mm-hmm. Right? And we can go through. There's a list of others probably. But but you're totally right. Those are the big ones. And Ruth's story is not Ruth without Ruth. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, duh, Chris. But they, they could have left her name out and made this the story of Boaz's faithfulness to stand up and stick out yeah. his family. And we could just find out there was this woman who was from Moab and she just happens to get married to Boaz and look at him. He's such a great guy. Look at, he took her in. I love that the perspective of this story is really dealing with two key female characters, mm-hmm. Naomi and Ruth and their reaction, their response, how they play it out. We, we hear a lot about them and how they're responding and what they're thinking about. And it shows us uh, first some things to be careful and worried about in, you know, the early centuries of the Israelite uh, nation, but also just shows us what it looks like to be a faithful woman who's walking with God, no no matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on. And that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Something else that I came across that I thought was really interesting. Somebody had said that um, Naomi is almost like a female Job. And I was like, whoa, that's really interesting. Job loses everything. Um, but this person actually said that they thought he was maybe probably lost even more than Job actually did Mm -hmm. by Naomi losing her husband. She loses her livelihood. Whereas Job could have done something else. Like he can make money in a different way, whereas Naomi cannot. So she almost loses. So just to kind of set us up and we'll talk about this when we actually talk about, um, Ruth one, but just to set this up that she loses more than Job does. And if you remember, like Job loses all of his livestock, all of his family, like, I mean, and it seems like everything. And when we start with this, it's just, oh, she doesn't have a son and she, or her sons and she doesn't have her husband. It doesn't seem like a big deal in our day and age. But back then that was like, that was ruin. Like you were nothing. So I thought that was just a really interesting thing to kind of put in here. So. We're going to dive into Ruth, obviously. We, if that's not clear by now, then you, <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what I don't you're think listening, we were listening to. Yeah. Wait, Ruth? <laughs> like if you fell asleep and you just woke up and you're like, wait, what are we going to study? I'll just repeat it again. Ruth. Mm-hmm. We're going to look at the book of Ruth, all four glorious chapters of it. It's a shorter book, which means this season is going to be considerably shorter than the, the, judges, the judges season one. was. Uh, but the thing with Ruth is, is this. Uh, there's so much out there to read about and think about with Ruth. So I would encourage you to go do that. We'll throw a couple of resources in the show notes for you, but I would just recommend start reading it now. And then when we get to it, you're just going to be blown away by some of the things that hopefully you see in it. And we'll do our best to just, you know, pull out things as we go through the basic storyline, uh, the deeper dive, and then so on and so forth all the way through our, our typical understanding of the book. So we're excited to go on this journey with you. Hopefully you're going to join us the whole way and we'll, we'll see you next time. See you guys later. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. <sighs> you pay him to do one job. We don't pay him. <laughs> He's worth every cent. <laughs> <laughs>